Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Squeaky McLost my voice. I'm Ellen. Really? That's it? Just just Ellen? I could go with Ellen McHave my voice, but it's not going to be anywhere near as funny as your squeaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rub it in, why don't you? Only a little bit. Because I kind of feel bad. Really? Do you? Yeah, it doesn't sound like your throat feels great. It does not, as a matter of fact. Thanks for picking up on that. Yeah, so we're going to just muggle through this and hope <laughs> that Katie survives the entire episode and forgive her for her voice, or lack thereof. Or just enjoy the squeaks. Enjoy the squeaks. <laughs> In the meantime, let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 17, Cat, Rat, and Dog, and the corresponding film scenes. The trio's propensity for meddling once again landed them in harm's way. But while the book brought the tension, the movie brought the slapstick with stunts and sight gags that gave Wile E. Coyote a run for his money. Ron's legs snapped like a twig while Hermione used Harry to pick up that pesky 710 split. Gary Oldman decided it wasn't enough to just be crazy, he added vague and cryptic to his resume as well. Lupin being a werewolf brings the shock, while his brotherly embrace with Sirius brings the awe. And that's not even the most surprising news of the evening. During episode 56, Crazy Gary Oldman. <laughs> crazy Gary Oldman. Crazy Gary Oldman. <laughs> Our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how different these two sections were, despite being similar? Juliana said that she liked the book version a smidge bit better. The movie was obviously more dramatic than the way she read it in the book. She read Sirius's dialogue much more void of emotion since he was in Azkaban for so long. The Whomping Willow stuff in the movie was entertaining, but not necessary for the plot. They could have added in the next chapter in the amount of time that they spent dealing with the Whomping Willow. She also added that she is glad not to hear Ron's leg break. Every time she reads slash hears slash thinks about the way it's described in the book, she cringes. I don't blame her. Yeah. Mm -mm. She also pointed out that in the movie, the Shrieking Shack moved almost like it was breathing, and she thought that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Jackson thought they were both done really well, but he liked the book better just for the adding of more detail. The madness of Sirius was absolutely brilliant in the film. Kudos to crazy Gary Oldman for that. But he hated the slapstick of the Whomping Willow scene, calling it totally unnecessary. Carly was majorly disappointed that they left out Crookshanks' relationship with Sirius. Dianus goes along with what Carly said. Without Crookshanks freezing the tree, we got a Two Stooges physical comedy break at the Whomping Willow. And we discovered that apparently Hermione's favorite muggle pastime was bowling when she yeets Harry into the hole. <laughs> From a financial standpoint even, she thinks it would have been cheaper to have a cat go press on the tree than to CGI the tree swinging Hermione around like a lasso. It's so slapstick. 
Dave says that he is admittedly a movie fan and has seen them way more than he has read the books. So when he thinks of Harry Potter, he thinks in movie terms. His head injury and memory problems also don't help him remember much of the extra stuff in the books. So as he reads the corresponding chapters, he's completely at a loss as to the relationship between Crookshanks and Black. Which is something we will end up covering in the next couple of episodes. Yep. Quincy just wrote, <clears throat> No comment. <laughs> no comment, indeed. <laughs> Thank you all for your input. I had never really noticed how the shack seemed to breathe before. It really was a neat touch. Yeah. And I agree with Jackson that crazy Gary Oldman was brilliant. <laughs> As is the way you say it now. Yeah, you're just loving this, aren't you? <laughs> yep. Our trivia question last week was, what are the four animals that the marauders turned into? The correct answer is werewolf, rat, dog, and stag. Lupin is the werewolf, obviously. Pettigrew is the rat. Black is the dog. And James was the stag. Congratulations goes to Dave Garza. Not only did he wow us with the correct answer and the code word, he also awed us with his powers of premonition as he predicted his win the previous week. Yeah, he could teach Trelawney a thing or two. Sure could. <laughs> we also want to give a shout out to Juliana, who made it a point to answer the question listing the animals in the same order as the map had their nicknames, since Dave did not do that. But we didn't specify that needed to be how it was listed, so he was still correct and first, making him the winner. Yeah, I just wanted to congratulate Juliana on her extraness because I very much appreciate it. Of course you do. But let's just keep rolling into Chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, and essentially no corresponding film scenes. Thank God. Chapter 18 Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. After taking a moment to process what Professor Lupin and Sirius Black had said about scabbers, Ron, Harry, and Hermione are in disbelief, Harry proclaiming that Black had killed Pettigrew 12 years ago. Black says that he tried and failed, and then proceeds to lunge after the rat. Professor Lupin stops him and pulls him away from Ron and Scabbers and tells Sirius that they have to tell the children why they are trying to kill him so they understand. Black struggles against him saying they can explain after, all the while Scabbers is trying to escape Ron's grasp. Lupin says they have the right to know because Ron has kept him as a pet and Harry is owed the truth. Sirius stops struggling and tells Lupin to hurry and tell them so he can commit the crime he had been wrongly imprisoned for keeping his gaze fixed upon the rat in Ron's hands. Ron has had enough and attempts to get up when Lupin points his wand at Scabbers and tells Ron that he will listen and to hold Peter tightly. Ron insists that his rat is not Peter, he is Scabbers. And while trying to put him back in his pocket, he loses his balance and Harry has to push him back onto the bed. Harry says there had been witnesses who saw Black kill Pettigrew, but Sirius tells him that they did not see what they thought they saw. Lupin admits that he had believed that Sirius had killed Pettigrew as well, until he saw him on the Marauder's map, which never lies. Ron and Harry exchange a look agreeing that both Professor Lupin and Sirius Black are mad, and their story makes no sense. Clearly Azkaban had driven Black mad, but there seems to be no explanation of why Lupin is going along with him. Hermione speaks up and calmly states that Scabbers can't be Pettigrew, because the Ministry of Magic keeps records of all Animagi. There were only seven in the last century, and Peter Pettigrew is not registered. 
Lupin laughs and tells Hermione that she's right again, but that the Ministry did not know that there had been three unregistered animagi at Hogwarts. Black is impatient to kill Ron's rat and tells Lupin that if he's going to tell the story, he had better hurry. Lupin agrees and tells Sirius that he will have to help him tell since he only knows the beginning, but is interrupted by a loud creak made by a door opening behind him. The five people in the room stare at the door. Lupin looks out onto the landing and says there is no one there. Ron exclaims that the place is haunted, and Lupin explains that the howling and screams that people used to hear in the shack were in fact made by him when he became a werewolf. He thinks that had he never been bitten, maybe none of this would have happened. Ron begins to interrupt, but Hermione cuts him off with a firm shush, paying close attention to their professor. Lupin explains that when he was a child and was bitten, there was no cure and nothing to help during his transformation. Snape's potion is a recent discovery and allows him to keep his mind while in his wolf form, making him safe as a sleeping wolf until the full moon passes. Before the potion was discovered, however, Lupin became a monster at the full moon, and he believed it was impossible to come to Hogwarts since it would not have been safe. It was only when Dumbledore became headmaster that it was made possible for him to attend school. The Whomping Willow was planted to protect the tunnel that led to the house that was built for his use during the full moon. His transformations were painful, but otherwise it was the happiest he had ever been. His three best friends, Sirius Black, Peter Pettigrew, and James Potter, eventually figured out why Lupin was disappearing every month and became animagi to help him during his transformations. Harry is surprised to learn this about his father, and Lupin explains how difficult the process is, which is why the Ministry keeps an eye on those who do it. It took the friends three years to work out the animagus transformation, Sirius and James helping Peter, and in their fifth year, they succeeded. Hermione asks how their transforming helped Lupin, and he explains that a werewolf is only a danger to humans, so in their animal forms, they were able to keep him company safely, and he seemed to be able to keep his mind more human when they were with him. Sirius, still impatient and staring intently at Scabbers, again tells Lupin to hurry up. Lupin tells Harry, Ron, and Hermione that they were then able to roam the grounds freely, and that was how they came to make the Marauder's Map, signing it with their nicknames, Padfoot for Sirius, Wormtail for Peter, and Prongs for James. Harry begins to ask what kind of animal his father turned into when Hermione interrupts to chastise them for their reckless and dangerous behavior. Lupin agrees, telling her that the thought still haunts him and admits that their youthful hubris made them laugh at the many near misses they had. Professor Lupin also admits that he felt guilty for betraying Dumbledore's trust, keeping the three illegal animagi a secret, but never guilty enough to stop them from doing it all again the next month. He admits that he hasn't changed because he has been struggling over telling Dumbledore that Sirius Black was an animagus, but was too much of a coward to do it. Dumbledore's trust had meant too much to him throughout the years, from helping him come to Hogwarts as a child to giving him a job when he was shunned by the rest of the world for being what he was. It was easier for him to believe that Black had been gaining access to the school by the dark arts he learned from Voldemort, and not because he was able to transform, and says that, in a way, Snape had been right about him all along. At Lupin's mention of Snape, Black's attention is diverted from Ron's rat, and he asks what Snape has to do with anything. Lupin tells Sirius that Snape is a teacher at Hogwarts as well, and tells Harry, Ron, and Hermione that Snape had been at school with them. Snape had fought against him getting the defense against the dark arts position, telling Dumbledore that Lupin could not be trusted. Sirius had played a dangerous trick on Snape when they were younger that almost got him killed, so he had his reasons. 
Sirius said it served Snape right for trying to find out what they were doing so he could get the four friends expelled. Professor Lupin ignores Black and tells Harry, Ron, and Hermione that Snape had been in the same year as them, but they did not like each other. Snape especially disliked James, probably for his skills in Quidditch, but was always curious about where Lupin had gone off to every month. Snape had seen Madame Pomfrey escorting Lupin to the Whomping Willow for one of his transformations, and as a joke, Sirius told Snape about the knot that would freeze the tree. Luckily, James heard what Snape had done and managed to pull Snape to safety before he made it to the house, but not before he had seen what Lupin was. Harry puts together the pieces of the story and asks if that was why Snape didn't like him, because he thought Lupin was in on the joke. A voice behind Lupin coldly says, That's right. And there is Professor Snape, discarding Harry's invisibility cloak with his wand pointed directly at Professor Lupin. The movie section continues from Sirius Black's announcement that Pettigrew was actually the one who betrayed Harry's parents. He insists that Pettigrew is in the room right now and yells for him to come out and play. Before anyone can say anything or react to the news that Peter Pettigrew is not dead and somewhere in the Shrieking Shack room... Severus Snape bursts into the room, disarming Sirius with Expelliarmus. He points his wand at Black and tells him that vengeance is sweet and he'd hoped he'd be the one to catch him. This might be one of the most significant lack of movie scenes that we've come across so far. That was definitely the shortest summary I've had so far, which, I gotta be honest, is nice, because my throat fucking hurts, so I don't mind that at all. Yeah, that's not something that happens for me since the chapters are all pretty consistent. If anything, they sometimes just get longer and we have to split them up, but they're never so short that I have less than a paragraph to read. That sucks to be you. <laughs> nah, you know I like talking. <laughs> Do I ever? Uh-huh. <laughs> At least I have my voice and can talk. Oh yeah? Well, my voice is sexy, so there. You did bring back the sexy voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing, bringing sexy, sexy voice back. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It needs to be one of your squeak yes. Them other muggles don't know how to act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho. I think one of the most disappointing things about this section of the movie is just how much of the backstory it leaves out. Yeah, the movie scene flowed really well. It didn't feel like anything was missing while watching it, but it definitely brought up questions that just didn't get answered. Not to mention the fact that I seriously doubt I was the only person watching the film and saying, that's not how it happened in the book. Obviously, they wanted there to be more action and less talking, you know. More opportunity for crazy Gary Oldman. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to let you get through that without giggling about it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but you're right, because in the movie, he seems more insane crazy. And in the books, he's honestly more desperate crazy. Which is evident by the fact that movie Sirius is just off in his own world wanting to kill him and completely just ignores what's going on around him, interrupting whenever he gets impatient. And I totally get the rush to kill Pettigrew, but come on now. Like, why are we in such a hurry? Seriously, is it going to take that much more time to tell Harry what the hell is going on? You've done your waiting. I get that. 
Like, come on, man. It'll literally take two minutes. What's two minutes when you've been waiting 12 years? Come on, dude. Yeah, and the movie really did ramp up his impatience. Mm -hmm. The book chapter actually shows that while he is impatient, he's also able to coherently explain what he wants about Peter Pettigrew being scabbers. So he does sound a little crazy, but nowhere near as crazy as he seems in the movie. Yeah, especially since the movie scene picks up right after crazy Gary Oldman says Peter Pettigrew. He goes on to announce that he's in the room, and dude sounds completely crazy when he says it. Especially when he follows it up with yelling at the room for Peter to come out and play. Oh yeah, it definitely made him look crazy. <laughs> in the book, they had already mentioned that Pettigrew was an animagist since that's how the previous chapter ended. This one starts out with the trio being super confused by the news because, like I said before, it does make him sound a little crazy. Just not as crazy. Come out, Peter! Come out, come out and play! Which, I gotta say, that totally gives me life. Because it's just classic crazy Gary Oldman. In the book, Ron is the first to manage to say something in response to the news that Scabbers is Peter and Peter is Scabbers. Einhorn is Finkel. <laughs> Finkel is Einhorn. He tells Lupin and Black that they are both mental. Hermione faintly says it's ridiculous, and Harry insists that Pettigrew is dead because Black killed him 12 years ago. The movie had already established that Peter apparently wasn't actually dead, since they had Harry previously see him on the map and Lupin confirm it as well. But we still don't know that Scabbers and Peter are one and the same yet. In the book, Sirius confesses that he meant to kill him, but Peter got the better of him and that won't happen this time. He lunges for Scabbers and Lupin stops him, telling him to wait because they need to understand. Black says they can explain afterwards, but Lupin insists, and Black tells him to make it quick. He wants to commit the murder he was imprisoned for. Definitely still crazy, but a very different crazy than the crazy Gary Oldman crazy. Yeah, Ron calls them both nutters and tries to leave, but Lupin points his wand at Scabbers and tells Ron he's going to hear him out and hold tight to Peter. So maybe put Petrificus Totalis on Scabbers. Like, that way he can't go anywhere and you can tell your goddamn story and Ron doesn't have to get the shit bitten out of his fingers. Or, I don't know, magic a cage, guys! You're fucking wizards! Jesus! That would work. Yeah. Doesn't happen, though. Ron just yells that he's not Peter, he's Scabbers, <laughs> and ends up nearly falling over. Harry catches him, pushes him onto the bed, and mentions all the witnesses who saw Black kill Pettigrew. Black says they didn't see what they thought they saw, and Lupin tells him that the map never lies. Peter is alive, and Ron is holding him. The movie does have a part that sort of references this conversation, but it doesn't happen until the next section. So we'll talk more about that next week. Yeah, some of this chapter did make it into the movie scene, just in a slightly different order. But the bulk of it was just completely cut out. In the book, Hermione tries to calmly say that Scabbers can't be Pettigrew because Professor McGonagall told them that Animagi have to register themselves. She went to look McGonagall up on the list and saw that there have only been seven Animagi this century, and Pettigrew was not one of them. This obviously couldn't be included at this point of the movie, since we still don't know that Pettigrew is an Animagus, but it also never got included at all. 
And though this information is actually a bit foreshadowing, it really isn't that important for the overall plot. Yeah. However, I do think the next part is really important to the plot, at least from a storytelling sense. And that got completely left out, too. Because Lupin responds to Hermione's claim by telling her that she's correct, but the Ministry never knew that there used to be three unregistered Animagi running around Hogwarts. Yeah, this part of the story gives us the background information about the Marauder's map, and the movie literally didn't include any of that. The map just existed. No real explanation was given about where it came from and how Lupin knew how to work it or anything. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And this whole chapter shares that backstory. Actually, we really see a slightly more similar impatience to what Sirius displays in the movie at this point in the book, because he snarls at Remus, saying, If you're going to tell them the story, get a move on, Remus. I've waited 12 years, and I'm not going to wait much longer. Yeah, that, that is somewhat similar to his 12 years of waiting moment in the movie. Somewhat. However, not included in the movie is the actual story of what really happened. Lupin starts it out and is briefly interrupted by the door opening on its own. Sure, on its own. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Ron mentions the place being haunted, and Lupin uses this to go back into his story, telling them that it isn't haunted, it never was. The shrieks and howls the villagers would hear were made by him. He explains that his becoming a werewolf is where this story all starts. Okay, here I totally get the rush to kill Pettigrew, because Remus goes all the way back to his goddamn childhood. Like, maybe fill in that blank once we're done killing our traitorous friend, just saying. Skip to the important shit. He was our friend, he betrayed us, he's a dick. Oh hey, and look, he's human. I'll show you right now. Just say, hey watch this, and turn him back into a human. And then I'm pretty sure Ron and Harry will be all about murdering the shit out of him. Nope, it's story time. Ugh. We learn that Lupin was bit at a very young age, at a time that there was no cure or anything. The potion that Professor Snape has been making him is a very recent discovery, called the Wolfsbane Potion. It allows him to keep his mind when he transformed, so he could just curl up in his office a harmless wolf. And completely explains what the smoking goblet that Snape brought him was. Not that the movie introduced that much at all. There's a comment later on, but we'll talk about that then. Yeah. But since the potion didn't exist when he was a child, he just became a monster once a month. It didn't look like he'd be able to attend Hogwarts, but when Dumbledore became the headmaster, he said with certain precautions Lupin would be able to go. Lupin reminds Harry about how he told him that the Whomping Willow was planted the year he started at Hogwarts, and adds that it was actually put there because of him, along with the house in the tunnel so he would have a place to transform. And in the movie, they were all just there. We don't even get a backstory on how Lupin became a werewolf or anything. Magic. Yeah. Harry isn't quite sure where the story is going, but is captivated as Lupin continues to explain that his transformations were terrible. Since he was separated from everyone else, he would bite and scratch himself instead, causing the villagers to hear and think it was coming from particularly violent spirits, a rumor that Dumbledore encouraged. The closest that the movie got to telling us any backstory on the Shrieking Shack was just repeating that it was the most haunted building in Britain. It did share that twice, and make a point of saying that it was shared multiple times. So, it actually really bothers me that they never tied off that loose end. 
I mean, why start now? It's just poor writing, and it sucks because the books are good about tying off the loose ends. No argument for me. Again, it's yet another reason the books are superior to the movies. True story. They just are. But anyways, Lupin continues his story saying that apart from his transformations, he was happier than he had ever been because for the first time, he had friends. Sirius Black, Peter Pettigrew, and James Potter. Obviously, the movie made it clear that Sirius and Lupin were friends when they shared their little foreplay embrace, but they basically <laughs> gloss over the connection that Harry's father had to them. It plays a little more of a part later on, and we'll talk about it next week, but it's still not covered in any kind of depth. But in the book, story time continues, and Lupin talks about how his friends could hardly fail to notice that he would disappear once a month. He made all sorts of excuses, but they eventually worked out the truth and made a choice that would both make his transitions bearable and give him the best times of his life by becoming an Imagi. Obviously, we know that Sirius is an Animagus, since Ron flat out called him one when they first found him in the upstairs room, and we're getting closer to the point where the movie tells us that Pettigrew is as well, but we get nothing about how or why. And nothing about the fact that James is as well. Mm-hmm. It took them the better part of three years to learn how to do it, but James and Sirius were the cleverest students in the school and were able to figure it out and help Peter with it. By their fifth year, they could each turn into an animal at will. This actually inspired our trivia question for last week, where we asked what the four marauders turned into, even though we don't technically yet know what James's animagus form was. At this point, we obviously know that Lupin would become a werewolf, Sirius is obviously the large black dog, and the chapter tells us that Pettigrew is currently a rat. It just felt weird to leave James off, so we went with all four. We do learn that James turned into a large animal. Hermione asked how them becoming animagi helped him, and Lupin explained that a werewolf is only a danger to humans. So they could keep him company as animals, and it helped him keep his mind. At this point, Sirius is starting to get impatient again. Which, like I said before, is completely understandable. Because, I mean, longest story ever. Yeah. It's not over yet. Mm-hmm. Lupin goes on to share that they started sneaking out of the Shrieking Shack and roaming the school grounds and village at night. James and Sirius both became such large animals they could keep a werewolf in check, if need be. Good thing, too. What if they all became something small like Peter? Based on the kind of people they were, I don't think that's how that would have happened. We just released a bonus episode with Carly as a guest host, and it was all about the Marauders, the map, and becoming Animagi. One of the things we discussed was the fact that you don't choose what animal you become. Yeah, there's also a theory that it could be the same animal as your Patronus, which is literally the case for Professor McGonagall. If that's the case, then I think it would turn into my cat Jack Nicholson, because I decided that my weasel Patronus switched to him after we had to put him down. And it would make me a cat, so I'd be allergic to myself. That's cool. <laughs> But I wonder if it's true that everyone who does manage to become an Animagus would be the same as their Patronus, since we also know a person's Patronus can change. That's a good point. I think mm. this should be our Potter pondering. Ooh, I like it. Also, if you guys want to check out that episode that we recorded with Carly, it's up on our Patreon page and we'll give you the information for that at the end of this episode, so you know how you can get access to it. Yay! 
But another thing we learn in the book that we definitely don't learn in the movie is who Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs are. Which, considering this is the title of the chapter, we better be learning it here. Nope, not in the movie. They're just the anonymous map makers, and I can't believe it was never shared. I'm not over it. Samesies. <laughs> it's just so great. I love knowing where the map came from, especially since it played a pretty big role in the story. The movie just turned it into a MacGuffin. It really did. Like, the map is the thing that follows him throughout the rest of his years, too. And it was another connection to his father. Yeah. Why not give him that? Ugh. Right, and in the movie, it was just this tool mm -hmm. that helped further the plot along. Literally a MacGuffin. And some people knew how to use it, and some people didn't. But we didn't know why. And it insulted Snape, but not Lupin, and we still don't know why. And Yeah. Like, just, it's, it just didn't make sense. It made it weird. Unless you read the book. Well, yes, unless you read the <laughs> book. But I'm, I'm just saying, I don't understand how non-book readers could follow it. Right. No, I definitely love to be around people who haven't read the book, actually, so that when they watch the movie, so that when they have a bunch of questions, I get to tell them all about it. <laughs> it's my drug. Wait, you love to talk about Harry Potter? Can you believe it? What? We're Hold only on. on episode 57. Oh my god, me too. We should totally do something with this. Oh my god, let's start a podcast. Holy shit, that's a great idea! <laughs> <laughs> anyway... In the book, where we actually learn things, yeah. Lupin tells them all about how their adventures on the ground led them to create the Marauder's Map and sign it with their nicknames. He is Mooney, Sirius is Padfoot, Peter is Wormtail, and James was Prongs. And again, because Book Harry actually asks questions, he immediately starts to ask what sort of animal his father was, but gets cut off by Hermione who's completely caught up in the fact that what they did was really dangerous. I would have been so annoyed with Hermione if I was Harry. Like, yes, Hermione, it was dangerous, but let me learn something about my dad, damn it. And he doesn't even get to find out at this point because Hermione completely distracts Lupin, who says that he's haunted by their recklessness and how he betrayed Dumbledore's trust. But back then, he always managed to put those feelings aside for their next adventure, and even now, when all year he'd been battling with himself about whether or not to tell Dumbledore that Sirius was an animagus. He ultimately didn't because he couldn't face admitting that he betrayed Dumbledore's trust, and instead convinced himself that Sirius was entering the school using the dark arts that he learned from Voldemort. He feels that in a way, Snape was right about him all along, causing Black to wonder what Snape has to do with anything. Never mind the fact that earlier he literally mentioned that Snape was making the Wolfsbane potion for him all year. Though, honestly, I very much doubt that impatient Gary Oldman was paying that much attention. That's what I would assume. He was probably spending the majority of the time tuning out the story as he glared at Pettigrew, a.k.a. Scabbers, <laughs> a.k.a. Wormtail, and then just tuned in from time to time to see if Lupin was finished yet. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Wait, Snape? <laughs> exactly. Lupin explains to Black that Snape is a teacher there also, and tells Harry, Ron, and Hermione that they were all at school together, and Snape has been telling Dumbledore all year that he's not to be trusted. Which the movie did actually show earlier on. Yay! They just don't reiterate it at that point. We'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. 
Lupin says that Snape has his reasons because Sirius played a trick on him back in school that involved him and nearly got Snape killed. Sirius thinks that it served him right since he was always sneaking around and trying to get them expelled. He was very interested in where Lupin would go every month and once saw him crossing the grounds with Madame Pomfrey. Sirius thought it would be, er, amusing to tell him to prod the knot with a long stick to be able to follow. And of course, Snape just had to find out. Oh, of course. And had he made it all the way to the house, he would have met Lupin, the fully grown werewolf. Instead, James went after him and pulled him to safety, but not before Snape saw what Lupin was. Dumbledore forbade him to tell anyone, but from then on, Snape always knew what he was. I think it's pretty interesting that Snape never blabbed it back then. Yeah, Dumbledore must have threatened him with expulsion or something because... Mm -hmm. Or had to have put some kind of fear of God in him because (laughs) if he could have just blabbed it and there's no taking that back. Yeah. So it had to be something that would really make him pause to not tell. Or he just really actually ultimately always did what Dumbledore said. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's interesting. And that even went until Lupin was a teacher again, too, with him. Yeah. And, like, he put out those heavy hints, but he never told anyone. He stayed true to his word. Yeah. It's just interesting to know that he did that back then as a 15, 16-year-old. Yeah, true. That's a good point. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But Harry asks if that's why Snape doesn't like Lupin, because he thought he was in on the joke, too. And a cold voice comes from behind Lupin, saying... That's right. And Severus Snape removes the invisibility cloak and points his wand at Lupin. Ooh, this kind of but not really happens in the movie. While crazy Gary Oldman is yelling for Peter to come out and play, Snape runs up the stairs and into the room, calling Expelliarmus and disarming Sirius. He points his wand right at him and tells him that vengeance is sweet and he hoped he'd be the one to catch him. So... As you may have noticed when Katie read her summary, the corresponding movie scene is about 20 seconds long, and in addition to omitting basically everything, the bit they did include is quite different. No invisibility cloak, Mm -hmm. just bursts right in the room and points his wand at Black instead of Lupin. Meanwhile, Book Snape used the trick that Harry used to listen to the conversation in Leaky Cauldron. Oh look, the door opened all by itself, ooh! (laughs) Right? (laughs) What I think is really interesting is how similar Black and Snape are in this scene. Because that door opened up back before Lupin had really gotten into the bulk of the story. Snape was there, under the invisibility cloak, for nearly all of the explanation of how they became Animagi, but he was so busy waiting for that perfect moment to reveal himself that he likely wasn't even listening to the story. Or he was and he just didn't give a shit. I mean, I don't think there's really anything at that point that could have changed Snape's opinion of either of them. But nothing even gave him pause. Like, he was just there in his head like, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to, I just, I just need the perfect in. I just need the perfect in. <laughs> nope, that's not it. I just, it's got, oh, there it is. There it is. Reveal. <laughs> Do you remember that episode of Scrubs where where the Todd is hanging out behind the yes the counter <laughs> and just waiting for someone to ask for a tongue depressor in my pants? 
Oh, the Todd. High five. Anyway, sorry. But this is where we will end this section and we can move on to the Potter pondering. Which is, what do you think you would become if you were an Animagus? Would it be the same animal as your Patronus? Or do you think it would be a different animal? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. Now we're at our Sorting Hat story, which is from Megan Scribner. She writes, I'm a Ravenclaw. My wand is laurel wood with a dragon heartstring core, and my Patronus is a salmon. I can't remember how I started to like the movies, but the books I do remember. I hated reading in middle school. My teacher would even let me pick a book on my own and read that one besides the one my classmates were reading. I could just never get into books then. I was in 7th or 8th grade. One day I was home and my mom handed me the first book and said, You love the movies, but now I want you to read the book. Picture everything in your head while you read. The castle on the mountain, the candles floating in the great hall. Took me from mid-morning to almost noon till early afternoon, the same day for me to finish the first book. After that first book, I really got into reading. I still have the very first book that my mom gave me all those years ago. Aww. Right? Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story, Megan. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. Mm-hmm. That brings us to this week's trivia question, which is, how did Black find out where Scabbers was? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag fair question, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. And as we mentioned earlier, if you would like to access our monthly bonus Potterheads A History episodes, you can support us as a patron on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $5 a month and up will get you access along with other awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. You could even be a guest host for an episode like Carly. And as always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort, and the not-so-corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.